Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. All right, if you have a Bible, Matthew chapter 7, I'm going to preach fast. Everybody say, yeah, you bunch of sinners. All right. It's a little hard to follow E.J. Kemper last week. How amazing was he? Yeah, the, the B team is back. Sorry about that. Good night. I listened to it on the way back home yesterday, and I was like, I have to follow that? Ugh. Matthew chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, there's some in the sides of the tech booth, um, or if you're a user of the Bible app, you can open up and find our live event. I'm jumping right in. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of the heavens, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in the heavens. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Then I will say, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. In this particular section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is laying in the plain, okay? And he is not going to let us stay uh, or, or imagine, um, tell ourselves the story that there's any gray area left. It is a yes or a no. It is an A or a B. It is black or it is white. I mean, there is no gray area. So many times in our lives we face um, complex issues um, with, with things that are happening. We're not having a complex issue here. Jesus has painted a picture of life and all um, uh, that it can be in the kingdom of the heavens. The kingdom that is right here, right now, as present as the air is around us. He has painted a picture of that kind of life and he has invited us into it. And in these last little four um, uh, little vignettes, he is calling us to a yes or a no life. He is not going to let us stay one way or the other. And so... um, we have done, uh, earlier, we've done um, Enter by the Narrow Gate. Uh, last week, uh, who are you listening to? Uh, and this week, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord. So three phrases I want to pick out of the text. I think they'll help us navigate these. First one's in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. That's where we're starting. Lord, Lord. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of the heavens, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in the heavens. What we have to realize here is that when um, it comes to our lives, our, our confession has to match our conduct. In other words, the words of our mouths have to match the orientation um, of our hearts. I, I use that word particularly, orientation, because th- there are um, moments, days, if you will, sections of a day even, when my heart is not oriented correctly. But there, Jesus is calling us to orient our lives. Now, there, there, there's a reason why we, we phrase it this way, Lord, Lord, because it, it, is, um, it carries some... Uh, well, let me just say it this way. It doesn't really matter what our title for Jesus is if our life doesn't match it. If, if It doesn't matter what our title for him, what we call him, is if, if our obedience isn't in line with what we are saying. So I know we have some pilots and some arrow guys uh, and girls in here. And so just a little uh, action up here, this little picture. Anybody recognize this? What is it? That's a good question. It's, it's an it's a, um, attitude something or other. What was it, Philip? ADI. ADI. I knew those were the letters. I was trying to come up with the actual words, though, and I failed miserably. You told me earlier, direct, okay, yeah, attitude, direction, indicator. So the whole idea, ADI, I knew those three letters. I could have just said that and you people would have been like, oh yeah, he knows what he's talking about. I don't know what I'm talking about. Here's what I do know. I do know if that thing goes upside down, you're in trouble. Like 
you can find yourself in a bad spot. And if you um, are flying, I've never actually flown a plane, but they tell me that, that if you're flying and you don't pay attention to this, your eyes can deceive you. There are moments when we need a real clear indicator of how our life is actually oriented. There are moments when we get into the soup, the clouds, we get into the, uh, into the fog, and we think we're flying right side up, but the truth is, is that we're upside down. We think we've turned right, but we've actually turned left. There are moments when we need a real clear indicator. Jesus is giving us one of these moments. There is no gray area here. To hear him, and we want our words, Lord, Lord, to match what our lives do. All that matters, he says at the end of verse 21, all that matters is doing the Father's will. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of the heavens, but the one who does the will of my Father, the one who is in the heavens. All that matters is doing the Father's will. And, and I just want to hit this. It is a question for today. It's a question for this Sunday, this moment. Because Jesus, he's using present tense verbs here. Who does the will? It does not, not will do, but does it right this moment. The one who does the will of my father, who enters the kingdom of the heavens, this, this kingdom that is available to us right this second. We, we don't have to wait till then and there. We can live in the kingdom here and now. All that matters is doing um, the father's will. And there's, there's almost, uh, there's four times in the New Testament where this phrase is used, Lord, Lord. Um, tw- twice here, once in Matthew 25 and once in Luke 646. We'll look at it in just a second. But all of them come with a sense of surprise. Like, um, oh, oh, I didn't know this was going to be the case. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. And you're like, wait a minute. Aren't you the Lord? In, in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is telling a parable about uh, some folks who are at a wedding party and, and some of the, uh, the ladies who are in attendance, they don't have oil for their lamps. And so they have to go away and get oil and they come back and the party's already started. The gates are locked up and they're banging on the door. Lord, Lord, let us in. He's like, sorry, party's already started. And, and this one, this one in particular, Luke chapter six, verse 46. Why, why Jesus says, do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? There are moments when, um, again, we face complex issues. This is not one of them. It is a clear call to live in relationship with God, with our oriented, with the horizon line oriented properly on who God is and what he asks of us. Lord, Lord. Uh, a couple, three, three or four weeks ago, I guess, maybe now, uh, Brad and I preached together. Um, he took a shot. I don't know if you remember this or not. He took a shot at the love languages book. Anybody remember that? Yeah. Um, not inappropriately. So just, you know, it's got some good stuff and some other stuff like in, in our spiritual lives, the, the love language of our lives, our spiritual love language, if you will, is security and significance. Everybody in here. I mean, you're sitting on the row with people who long for security and significance. And all you have to do is think about their life. And how they've pursued that. Um, the, the good news is, is that God, because he's such an amazing God, he has spoken security to us. He sent Jesus to die for us. And he has enveloped us with his unstoppable and unquenchable love. And he has spoken significant, inviting us not only to be his son or his daughter in his family and a part of his kingdom, but also then giving us things to do in this world. We get to participate in some pretty amazing things. 
But if you ever thought about it the other way, like, what's God's love language? And you, some of you think, that's such a weird question. But, but I really do think in our minds, if we could orient around this, then we would understand what Jesus is getting at. Because God's love language, his love language is obedience. Here he's expecting the one who does the will of my father. Uh, this is from a couple other parts in the New Testament. First John chapter five, verse three, for this is the love of God. In other words, if you want to know how to speak the love language of God, here it is that we obey his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Now, some of you feel like his commandments are burdensome, but they're not. And we've often said around here, the only thing harder than following Jesus is not following him. The only price that is higher to be paid than not following, excuse me, than following Jesus is the price to be paid when you don't follow him. But this is the love of God that we obey his commandments. Jesus, in his own words, uh, in the Gospel of John, says it this way. If you love me, John 14, verse 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. His love language is obedience. And furthermore, like there are consequences for this. And this is John 14, verse 21, just a few verses later. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Restatement of what he's already said. Here's the part. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest or show my, disclose myself to him. Church family, listen to me. Those who obey know God in a way that those who choose not to obey do not. That's what he's saying. Our obedience leads us to a... Uh, God entrusts us with more of himself when he sees that we obey. He gives us more of himself. So this is... what Now, again, in, just like in our um, horizontal level relationships, in our vertical relationships, sometimes we only obey um, when it feels like it's convenient. I only speak the love language when it's convenient. Is obedience hardly ever convenient? No. Um, sometimes we obey only when we feel like it. And sometimes we only obey um, when we want something back. Hey, God, here I am. I'm doing the thing. Our lives have to match our confession. The, the words of our mouths need to match the orientation of our hearts. Lord, Lord. Second phrase I want to catch is in verse 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many works in your name? On that day, that day. Jesus in verse 21 is talking about this day. The one who enters into the kingdom of the heavens is the one who does the will of my Father. That's present tense. But there is a day coming when you and I, all of us, we will have to give an account for our lives. We will get to and have to stand before Jesus the King. And we will have to give an account for our lives. And so we're talking about that day. That day is the one that we're after. And I, I, here's what I want to say about that. Doing good in this world is great, but it's not enough. Some people live our lives on the scale where, hey, here's some really good things that I need to do, and it'll outweigh the bad things that I need to do. And surely, at that point, surely that'll be okay. I'll be all right. Me and Jesus will be okay. But here, we've got people. Uh, didn't we prophesy in your name, speak on God's behalf? Didn't we cast out demons in your name, push back the darkness, and do mighty works in your name, unleash some good in the world? And they not only did those great things, but they did them in the name 
of religion, like as a part of their faith, whatever faith it was. Here's the thing, though. We don't get to pick and choose our obedience. There are parts of God's word that you may not like, but you still get to obey, and his commandments are not burdensome. There are things that God says that seem backwards or off or out of, uh, out of sync with the, the way that the world is right now, and we don't get to just cast those parts off. There are parts, frankly, that I don't understand, but I still get to believe them. I think, this is just my tendency, maybe it's not anybody in here or anybody watching online, I think that the temptation for uh, a lot of us is, hey, when it comes to the big stuff, I'll obey. I mean, you're talking about prophesying in God's name or casting out demons in God's name, doing mighty works, count me in. Count me in. That's not how you measure obedience, though. Obedience is not measured when the big stuff comes along. Obedience is measured when nobody's watching, when it's not inspiring, when it's lonely and hard. Iceberg, there will be moments this week where your kids will drive you nuts. There will be. I, I know at least one of them, and she drives... Okay, so it's just... Some of y'all are in the same boat, am I right? And the obedience to Jesus in that moment won't be measured. It won't, it won't be measured by how high you can jump in the gauntlet. It'll be measured by how kind, how patient, how thoughtful you are when nobody's looking and when it's not inspiring to you, when there's no pump-up music behind you, when the soundtrack of your life is silent. That goes for the rest of us too. There will be phone calls and emails this week. There will be social media posts and conversations. There will be traffic. There will be challenges. And it's in that unglamorous obedience. It's in that moment when nobody else is looking. That's when our obedience is genuinely measured. To think that it's just the big stuff is the veneer of Christianity. You you know veneer? I mean, like you can take the worst um, piece of plywood, like flimsy, and you can slick something on top of it. You're like, oh, this is shiny and beautiful. It can't hold anything. It cannot hold the weight. It's just veneer. If we've seen anything over the past 28 weeks or however long we've been doing this, listen, we've seen this. Jesus does not tolerate that kind of superficial in our lives. He's not going to settle for it either. So here's a, the, the biggest reason why doing good in the world is great, but it's not enough. We talked about the scale. Um, that scale doesn't actually address our real problem. Because the, the message of genuine, excuse me, of, of, of general, um, most religions in the world is, hey, you really need to be a good person, and that'll outweigh the bad. Uh, the message of Christianity is not, you're a bad person, and Jesus is here to make you good. The message of Christianity is, you're dead, and Jesus is here to give you life. He's here to give you life. And so our, our problem is not that we're like eh, kind of out of sorts on the scale side. Our problem is, is that we're a corpse and we need a power from the outside of us to step into our world and give life to us. That's what we need. Doing good in the world, that's a good thing, but it's not enough. 
because our, our genuine problem, our deepest problem is that. So, and I will just say this very quickly. What, what happens on that day, that moment when we stand before Jesus is determined by what happens in these days. So our, our life today impacts what happens on that day and in that moment. Because if, if I stand before Jesus in that moment, like these folks right here, and try to justify myself on that day, then I was not ever trusting in him to justify me on this day. What do you mean by that? Well, what I'm saying is, is that if, if I'm coming in hot with all of my... Here, Jesus, here's my list of things that I've got done. Surely you want me on your team. Then what I, what I have not realized is that Jesus has wanted all along to make me right before him, not on the basis of things that I could do, but on the basis of what he's done. This didn't make the notes. It was a late ad, but let me just read it to you. Romans chapter 3. <clears throat> if you've been around church much, you know this verse right here. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned. How many? Oh, that's pretty terrible. You're sitting on the row with some really professional sinners. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And some of you think, oh, man, just a little bit short. Oh, I just fell short. No, 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 no. It is not that kind of fall short. It's full on trip. You're carrying stuff, face plant. You know, you got mud everywhere and your nose is... I mean, you're, you, it is an ugly fall. That's what it is. You've fallen short of the glory of God. You didn't miss it by just a touch. You face planted. And the, the, the message of Christianity is when we stand before Jesus, that is our state by ourselves. But the most amazing thing for me in this moment is that for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And at the end of Romans three twenty three is a glorious comma. Cause if it were a period, that would be really rough for everybody in here. Me most of all. If that was the last word over our life, if the, per- the period means full stop, like this, is, this thought is complete. If, if the period was what was there, then we would all be in bad shape. But a comma means what? There's something else coming. For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, comma. And are justified, made right by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So what I'm saying is, what happens on that day when we stand before Jesus, if I'm trusting in myself, I will still be in face plant mode. But if I'm trusting in Jesus, he will justify me. Forgive me of my sins. Give me new life and make me right before him. What good news. What good news. Last thing. Verse 23. Uh, we've got Lord, Lord, we've got that day, and then 23. And then I will declare to them, um, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Workers of lawlessness. I mean, that seems a little harsh on Jesus' side, right? I mean, you've, you've got folks like saying things in his name and casting out demons and doing mighty works. That seems like they're not working lawlessness, but there is a way even that you and I can live in the world and hopefully do good for kind of the common, uh, for humanity, but it still be all about me. That, that's what he's saying there. You, I never knew you, you're working lawlessness. I just say this, that the, the condemnation here is relational. The issue is that we don't know him. That's what he's saying here. We can serve him, we can speak for him, we can have a platform that points to him. But the question is, do we know this king who offers life? That's, that's the question. That's the question. I'm, I'll do this part very, very briefly. We're in Texas. 
And there are people who are born here, and there are people um, who are Texans, and then there are people who are, live here, right? So uh, Texans, I mean, like, you, you know, like we drove home yesterday from vacation on this little two-lane road. If you're driving on a two-lane road, not so much on the uh, freeway, but uh, on a two-lane road, you're driving along, somebody passes you, what do you do? You wave. You, you give them the one finger, two finger, whole finger. Like in Houston, we give one finger, a whole different conversation with that. That's different. You know, but out there, you know, on uh, Farnham Market, whatever it is, you just give them the wave and they wave back and you just think, man, what a good state we live in. Um, in, in, in I mean, that's kind of the part of the culture of Texas. Part of the culture of Texas is like we're, it's a really big place. You know that if you leave Beaumont and drive to El Paso, you're more than halfway to L.A. You, you, you know that it's basically the same distance, like 18 miles difference from Brownsville to Panhandle, Texas, right? Um, you, you know that if you're looking at a weather map of Texas, like it can be 20 in Amarillo, and there can be an 80-degree difference between there and the valley. Like you just know that. And what do you say about that? That's Texas. Uh, and, you know, there's, there's uh, you know, pine trees there on the east, mountains way out west. Uh, Tyler is from Amarillo. Um, it, it's flat and dusty. They don't use salt and pepper because the dirt that's in the air just seasons everything, right? I mean, this is, it's just Texas. It's just, it's just where, we, where we live. And there, there are people who are born here, and some get it and some don't. There are people who move here and get it. And then there are people who live here, but they still don't get it. And most of them are in Austin. Isn't that weird? That's just strange. <laughs> I'll be here all week, people. I'll be here all week. Stop. Stop. The, 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 the culture, the culture infects people and it changes them. When we know this king and when the culture of the kingdom infects us, it changes us. And so, to, to be clear, the, the will of the Father that he talked about, verse 21, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in the heavens, the will of the Father that he's talking about is to know Jesus. That's what he wants for you and for me and for all the kids who are going to come this week and for um, everybody in our sphere, everybody in our area, everybody who we sit next to at the baseball um, game or where, everybody. The will of the Father is that we know Jesus, he desires, in his heart, he is, it, it is beating with passion that you and me be people who know Jesus. So Jesus in John 17, verse 3, says this. This is eternal life. This is eternal life. So here comes the definition. That they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. He invites us to relationship. And if you're here this morning and you've never experienced that relationship or surrendered your life to the Lord, 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 can be your confession today. And he will come in and begin the renovation process on your life and he will change you forever. He will forgive you of your sins. And some of you, you, you know what those sins are. You don't have to look very far over your shoulder to know that you've you got a lot of stuff with you. Jesus can forgive all of it. And he will. He's willing. If you surrender your life to him, he forgives you of your sin and gives you a whole new kind of life. A whole new kind of life. So that's what I'm inviting you to. Last thing I'll say. Hey, dads, in here, because it is Father's Day. I mean, the best thing that we can do is preach the Bible and let dads be men of the Bible. But, like, dads, specific challenge to you. Those closest to you, tell your story to them. 
Tell your story of how Jesus has been at work, of how all of this has played out in your own life. See what God does. I'm going to pray for us, and we'll have a song of response and some uh, a, a brief testimony from uh, our mission trip this past week. But just join me in a word of prayer. And if you need to kind of settle your hearts and do some business with God, you just clear out whatever space you need to clear out to do so. If you need to be the person who, um, who, who today gives your life to Christ, you can do so right now. By simply saying, Lord, I, I don't know everything, but I do know that I need you to forgive me of my sin and to take over my life, and he will. Both of those. Father, please um, minister by your Holy Spirit and do the things that you need to do here in this room with these people, with those watching online. I pray that the, the, the pause button, the back button wouldn't, wouldn't be hit yet. You would do what you need to do and seal up the work that needs to be sealed up in order for us to fully experience all that you have for us. However you are at work, Father, I simply add my prayers to those being prayed right now, but also say this, God, that you would not let us be gray in this moment. You you would help us to choose today to live for you. Go to work in us and make that our reality. This is what we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.